I want to start this morning as um, I rarely do, I guess, with a story, short story. Uh, middle of the 20th century, um, in Eastern Europe, there was uh, a young boy, you know, maybe around seven or eight years old, and he was walking, he lived in like a rural farmland, and he was walking to his uh, country school for his morning class. And as he's walking, uh, he sees uh, in the distance, but very clearly, he sees uh, a stack with a factory. And the stack is pumping out this uh, brown smoke into the air. And the young boy looks at the stack, looks at the smoke in his heart. He, uh, though maybe doesn't articulate it, Clearly, he has a deep sense that something is wrong with the world, that this smoke is rising to the heaven. His soul is disturbed. Maybe if we were in the beautiful countryside and we saw that, maybe we'd feel the same. But this boy did. And uh, the story is, well, that's it. It's not a story. Not much of a story, except that that young boy, his name uh, was Blackwood Howell which some of you may know that name. Uh, so that boy grew up and became one of the most prominent, uh, I think, philosophers and um, honest politicians of our age. He was the first uh, president of the Czech Republic. I've come to his work recently. I'm processing all what he's saying and speaking about. And he shares a bit about his life, and he's writing um, this really beautiful article titled uh, Politics and Conscience. And he's describing, he's, uh, this is a lecture or a talk that he gave, or he was meant to give, when he was receiving an honorary doctorate from Toulouse University. Uh, he was able to make it, so it was read out. And he's talking about um, processing and maybe grieving the mechanical nature of our, of our age. How the world seems to be guided more by efficiency and producing. And we create things like ugly smokestacks in the countryside that pump out smoke. And he's reflecting how from a young age he felt that something was wrong there. And as he grew up, he, he I think, learned to see, he says, that humans have detached ourselves, we have detached ourselves from uh, a meaningful order natural order in this universe. Now, I don't think he was a Baphomet Hallows Christian, but he used the word God. Because we have replaced God and put ourselves in place. And he says the way the categories of how we think are mistaken, because he says, when we see this smokestack problem, humans have probably two ways of addressing that, at least two ways. One is to sort of look at that smokestack and say, well, uh, no, I don't think that's right, but it does, this factory is probably producing things that we need, so I kind of have peace with it. I accept that it's a feature of the world, that we have smokestacks to pump smoke. That's one. Or the other perspective is we come to that smokestack and say, well, what we need is some better filters. So let's apply technology and science to put filters there, and that'll solve the problem. And then he says, but it doesn't occur to us, modern people, to think that fundamentally we think our culture that even produces the smokestacks in the first place. 
In other words, what he's saying is that we stay on one level in this kind of uh, false dichotomy, false bifurcation, and say, well, it's one of these two. And he said, but we don't actually go deeper and say, well, why not rethink this whole problem? Do we even need this? So he says, it's not so much, so we, he says, talking about the natural world, we remain, we see this as an ecological problem, but he says it's not fundamentally an ecological problem. It's a spiritual problem. That's the part we don't want to go. Because it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. But every Sunday, I hope that as we gather here, that's where we're going. Right? Because I know all of us, and some of you, we've had conversations, we're processing what we're seeing in the world. You know, Israel, Gaza, and if you have social media, you're seeing it all over your social media, right? And it's, com- it's, it's complicated. It is. But often it's not portrayed to us that way. Right? I see friends, even family members, just tracking what they're doing. I see Israeli flags, or I see Palestinian flags. And the so-called discourse that happens in the online universe, is it discourse? It feels like a lot of anger, a lot of moral, moral posturing, cutting each other. And I'm wondering, if you're, and I'm a Christian, you're a Christian like me, you're wondering, well, how do I... How do I process this? How do I engage the present realities? Right? I appreciated that today's reading, Jesus, and the gospel reading, is also presented with two horns of a political problem. All right, well, we heard, so that's what we're going to be reflecting on. What happened to Jesus? How did he handle that moment? Where people are saying, hey, get you decide. How did he handle it? And how does that guide us to how we interact in the world that we live in? As always, Jesus is very relevant. So here's the problem. Here's the problem that Jesus was confronted with. Uh, Jesus, at this point in his, in his ministry, in his time on earth, he's been preaching, teaching, uh, miracles, he has a lot of power. Uh, he's wildly controversial. A lot of people love him, a lot of people hate him. Notably, the people that hate him are the people um, that feel threatened. Their power is threatened by his reality, by what he says. And so you have this group, uh, these two groups of people that come to Jesus, and it says right there, they're trying to trap him, they're trying to trick him. The two groups are the Herodians and the Pharisees. The Pharisees we've heard about in past few Sundays, you know, there are people who are really committed to their faith, they really look at the Bible, they're really reading it, really processing it, really trying to follow God, but they're so obsessed with the letter of the law, they're so looking so closely at it, they're blinded to God right in front of them in Jesus. So they have a problem. And we've talked about before, it's actually their goodness, their religiosity, their spirituality that blinds them to Jesus right there. Right? That's one group we've talked about. The other group is the Herodians. These are people who are in line with the political spirit of the age. They are, their patrons are the Roman Empire, Herod, the kingdom, who itself is a client, client kingdom of Rome. So these are people who are definitely in bed with the oppressors of the Jewish people. Of course, the Jewish people had been conquered at that time, right, ancient Israel, by Rome. 
A lot of Jewish people, especially the poor, don't like that. But these privileged few enjoy privileges they support. Herodians, Herod, Rome. So the Pharisees and the Herodians are not natural friends. The Pharisees don't like the Romans or any Gentiles, really. But interestingly, they come together on this one issue. We don't like Jesus. And so let's trick them up. And that's what they're going to do. So they come up, and they have this question to Jesus. Is it, and they ask him, is it okay to, um, <clears throat> to pay to Caesar? Pay taxes. This is a trap, because as he says, if he says, yeah, pay the taxes, all the uh, support he has um, from regular folk is going to disappear overnight. No one likes paying taxes to Roman Empire. So he says, yeah, pay it. In trouble. He says, don't pay it. Well, he can be arrested and executed pretty quickly. Right? Either way, it's a lose for him. Now, I, thinking about that, I, um, for, for me and hopefully for you, I feel... I, so Jesus is so good at relating to us. I want you to notice that's the one thing. That's a very small point. But I want you to know that we, Jesus knows what you're going through. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a conversation in a mixed company where someone puts a question to you, right, either A or B, and if you don't answer the right one, if you don't signal the right politics or philosophy or virtue, you're going to get cut. If you've ever felt in that corner, just know that Jesus understands it because he's put there. Right? And it's no stretch of the imagination, even right now. And this, uh, and the reality of what's happening in Israel and Gaza, that you might have been put in situations and conversations where, like, well, do you support Israel? What are you supporting now? Palestinians, what do you stand? Sensing that what depends on what comes out of your mouth will be the moral evaluation of your life in that moment. You're going to be put in a hole, some hole. And who knows if you'll get out of it. I don't know if that's been your experience. Sometimes I am invited to write side type ropes. And so when I see Jesus being put to the test, I feel comforted by that. I don't know if that comforts me. It comforts me. The person we follow understands us. Sounds great. But it's more than that. Because interestingly, Jesus gives an answer. Right? So they're asking him, here's a political problem that you're experiencing. Are you for or against? Right? Are you red state, blue state? What, what are you? Progressive, conservative. We have, a, we have a binary here. That's the way the world is. Jesus, where do you land? Right? Both sides. Well, it's a trap. But some people don't ask it as a trap in our world. People ask it genuinely. There are only two sides to every issue. And where does Jesus stand? Where does Christianity stand? And depending on where you are geographically, you'll get a specific answer. Interestingly, you often don't ask Jesus what he says. But here we're getting an answer. What is Jesus? Is he red state or blue state? What is he? And he says, hand me a coin. The imperial coin, hand me They give it to him. What's the image? Grudging to you. And then he gives an answer that feels like so cryptic to be a coin, right? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And it says, there was such a mic drop moment, they can't ask him any more questions. And if you're saying that, you're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? 
Well, I think what Jesus recognized there is what, in a sense, Vaclav Havel was pointing out about the smokestack. See, Jesus understands, you guys are trying to trap me, but you're seeing this political issue of the tax, you're seeing this tax moment, this oppression, Roman oppression in the politics of the age, and you're boiling it down to these two sides. You're thinking that what each of you say, each side says, we see the whole problem in its entirety, and we have a solution. And so you have this conflict, a battle that ends up a battle of attrition, and Jesus is where you're at, and Jesus is saying, you don't even see the problem. The problem is right here in this coin. What's the problem? Well, here's the part that we might not understand. Not see right away. And I didn't know you either. I pulled up in both, so it's not like I knew this. But apparently, um, something that we don't talk about too much in our modern age, but was very common in the ancient antiquity, was that rulers uh, entrenched their power by saying that their ruler, their, 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 um, their authority to rule was divine, right? So the Roman emperors were seen as like divine or nearly divine beings. At least their rulership was uh, divine imperative, right? In the Roman Empire, that went back to the first king, apparently Numa, who made an attack apparently with Jupiter, uh, the ruler of the, of the gods, saying, I will, sac- I will always make sure that your sacrifice is happening to you. And if I sacrifice to you, I honor you, you will strengthen my armies. And of course, it seems it worked because the Roman armies were repeatedly victorious. Right? But then it seems that the worship of the gods waned. And so a lot of the people saw the civil war that occurred in Rome as coming, as occurring because the gods weren't honored. And eventually, when a ruler arose from the Civil War, named himself Augustus, and apparently his very public will, so the emperors had a will, a very public one, that everyone could hear about, he very proudly stated that he, in his, time, time, uh, uh, in his short time of being a ruler, had re- renovated 82 temples to Jupiter, thereby cementing that he rules by divine decree from the gods, right? And he issued money with his own face. In other words, if you use my money, there's a lot of money. If you use my money, you're accepting the rulership of the emperor and all that means. It's not just a, a neutral political arrangement that we experience today. Well, not neutral today. But at least today we'll say, well, I don't agree with the, the, the rulers of the presence or financial religion, but, you know, he's not. He's my president, my prime minister. That's not the case back then. If I agree, yeah, you're my king, I accept the divine reason that you're proclaiming. And that's a problem. That's a serious problem. So when these two groups, Herodians and the Pharisees, come together, weirdly, work together to try to trap Jesus and say, hey, choose A or B of this political problem. Jesus is saying, you don't understand that you have missed the problem. I'm going to show you how you missed it. Give me a coin. Notice Jesus, Jesus does not have this coin. Notice that he doesn't have it. He's not carrying that around his pocket because he's, he's in no way agreeing that Caesar is the, the true ruler, ruler by the gods. So he gets asked him. And it's weird that these people they have it. So they say the fact that you have the money, you just pulled it out and asked for it and gave it to you. You're complicit in this arrangement that's breaking the world. You see, you have a spiritual problem. 
You think it's A or B. It's It's not an ecological problem, but how it says it's a spiritual problem. He's ripping off of Jesus. That's the point. That's so often the point. Because to have that coin, to say, I have this money from the empire, that, my friends, is idolatry. That is saying that something else is God besides the true God. And you can't get any sort of moral, compelling moral vision off the ground if that's part of how you see and think, see this world. That's what Jesus is saying. You want to talk about politics and what's right. You have this big blindness. You're jingling this money in your pocket. You're compromised to a serious degree. That's what I'm coming, that's what I'm dealing with. Do you see, see what Jesus is doing? Remember the story in Summer, Matthew 9, maybe? I don't know. Uh, the story of the paralytic on that story? Jesus is teaching in a house. There's a, a young man who can't walk. He's paralyzed. His friends take him on a journey. They go to the roof of the house. They cut a hole through the roof. They drop their friend down right in front of Jesus while he's teaching. Not much in a while. What happens? Obviously, the guy wants to be healed. Jesus, what does Jesus say? What's the first thing Jesus says? My son, which is which as we've explored before, is a very wild take in that moment. Right? Because if you have a, a very imminent problem, right, that's an offensive thing to say. Oh, I'm just really hungry. I haven't eaten in days. And Jesus shows up. Yeah, but I forgive your sins. What? I'm hungry. My legs are broke. I have a political problem. I lost my job. You name it, it's a problem. I don't have legs right now. Jesus, help me. And what does he say? Your sins are forgiven. We hate that. We hate the notion that our real problem is something deeper than what we can control. It's our sin problem. We hate that. But Jesus starts there. Right? That's where the healing begins. After thousands of years, you think that one more political move is going to save the politics of this age? Are you serious, bro? How do you solve this? I'll be honest with you right now, for what it's worth, I'm not sure that you care what I think, but I'll tell you right now, in the Middle East, I don't think we're solving that. That has to do also with like, the falsity of the nation builder, but I don't think we have a, a, we're going to solve it. I think what we're seeing live is the hubris of humanity to think that we can arrange this world with equity and justice, independent of God. And we're being brought to a place that Jesus has been calling us for a long time now. You have to come to a place where you say, I don't know what to do. I have no legs, God. What do I, what do I, I don't know how do I get off of this. Politics, A or B, Jesus. And Jesus says, see that I'm healing that problem, sin, your spiritual issue. And from that, see, you have no safety. You have no control here. You have to depend on me. It's not, Caesar's not appointed by the gods to be here. The Father has sent me. In fact, I'm God. You want to solve a problem in this world and in your life? You start with me. Get those coins out of your hands. Get the coins that you have control, you have say, you know what it's like. Get that out. Start with Jesus. Right? Notably, uh, they killed Jesus. Spoiler alert. Let's keep reading the story. They killed him. 
because no human age, no human culture ever likes that answer Jesus gives. It's not just idiosyncratic to the Roman Empire. Every culture hates that answer. Every culture gives A or B. And every time Jesus and a follower of Jesus says, no, sin issue, well, no more. Every culture. So if you're a follower of Jesus, first you follow Jesus, it's the same thing. That's what we come here every, every Sunday, right? To connect with living God as a community. Do you know what this time is? To wrap this up, you know what this time is? Every time we're here on Sunday, we're laying down our arms. We're putting the coins out of our pocket and saying, I don't have the answers, God. In fact, I'm looking to be shaped by your life because you have the answer. That's why we sing these songs. It's not because we're trying to replicate camp when we were kids. Oh, that was pretty fun. Every time we sing, you know what we're saying? I don't have the answers. I'm not God. God, you're God. That's why I'm singing these words. If you hear what we're singing, that's what you're saying. But it's true, it's not something about it. So when you're approaching a live political issue, people are forcing you into a false dichotomy. I think you should be suspicious of that one. That's what I'm saying. I think Jesus is saying that. And start with your life. If you wanna, if you feel like there's a there's a moral question here, and I want to be able to answer this accurately and fairly, how do I do it? And if you feel you're struggling, clean house, bring your life to God. It's with a God-shaped mind and heart that we're meant to engage this world. But you can only do that if you admit Jesus is Lord of us. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Is that comfortable? No. No. It's easier to ignore that and just pick some political party and go off running. That's easy. It's always been easy. We're not invited to these road or invited to the life of the cross, which is that. But the hope is to end is that if we do that, if you want to do that, even if you want to want to do that, you know, 1 John 3 20, even the desire for that is purifying. Jesus leads you right there. He'll give you exactly what you need comfort, encouragement, clarity of mind, strength, hope. We don't walk out these doors on our own strength. We're meant to walk with the life of Jesus. He's given you his life as long as you take it. I hope that you do. And with that, I want to invite you to pray through what I'm sharing with you, through what Jesus is sharing, more importantly. We're about to go to the Lord's table. This is a place where God feeds us his his life, his love. Whatever in your heart, my heart, I'm not submitting to Jesus, wherever I'm saying, Jesus, you're not God, I'm God. Bring it to him. He wants to. He knows already. He loves the spirit. Invite him to your life. His life, his love, his strength. Not only for our great good, God's great glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we give you uh, so much thanks and praise God that as we navigate these really hard moments, um, oh gosh, we're, we're seeing uh, so much uh, hate and violence and tragedy in the world and abroad. We also many of us experience it in our own lives. God, as we're going through this, this journey, uh, Lord, as often as we forget you, we thank you so much that you do not forget us. You're always there. You're always calling us home. Always calling us to attend your life and your love. God, I pray for each person in this room. If there's anything in our lives that is blocking your voice from our lives, I pray that you remove it. Help us, guide us with your life, with your love. Help us to engage everything we say and do 
uh, the, the, the politics of our age, help us to engage it with your heart. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.